0: Welcome to the One Crossing podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Crossing Church, I know that right now has been an interesting time in all of our lives. What we thought would maybe last a few weeks is now lasting months. Some of us are craving and aching for some resemblance of normal. I know that for many of you, there's uh, occupational challenges. I know that there's financial challenges. I know there's educational challenges. I know that you are trying to figure out how to navigate life with kids and education and trying to figure out how to manage a workload and trying to figure out when do you get to see family and how do you care for other members in your family? I know that there are some of you that are uh, maybe watching this and you are isolated from your family, maybe because uh, you're having to quarantine, because you're exposed to somebody, or maybe because you have it, or maybe because you live in an environment where people can't come and see you, and so uh, you ache in loneliness. And it would be so hard for me to come out and preach a message to you today and just not acknowledge that I get it, it's tough right now. And I'm thinking uh, specifically right now for all of the teachers and administrators who are trying to figure out how to navigate being safe and at the same time provide an optimal educational experience. I know that if you're a teacher or an administrator, you are getting uh, all kinds of support depending on what decision you make and you're getting all kinds of opposition no matter what decision you make. And what I wanted to do before I jump into the heart of my message today is just all across this region, 10,000 square miles wide, I would love us just to lift up a collective prayer. And so wherever you're at, whether you are watching at one of our locations, whether you are watching at home with surrounded by your family, whether you are watching in quarantine, whether you are just by yourself, whether you're joining us on some tropical beach and you're just choosing to stay connected to our church family, I wanna make sure that we just spend a little bit of time praying. So would you guys join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, the comfort I've been drawing is the fact that you are in this with us. That there's nothing we're experiencing, there is nothing that we're navigating, that you are not there. Your counsel is available, your presence is real. And God, I ask right now specifically for your presence to be made known to those who are lonely, to those who are in isolation, that they would draw comfort from your word, that they would be able to commune with you in prayer. God, I'm asking that you would be with the teachers and administrators who are overseeing our school systems. Grant them wisdom, grant them courage. God, I pray that you'd put people around them to encourage them and to lift them up. God, that we would be uh, prayers for them more than protesting against them. God, I ask that you'd watch over all of the city officials who are trying to manage things with the state and the CDC and figure out how best to lead through this time. Nobody planned for this, nobody prepared for this, nobody has a master's degree in this, but God, they get up every single day and they face unique pressures that we aren't even aware of. And I just ask that you would just cover them with your grace and with your wisdom. God, I pray that you would be with us as a church, that we would continue to reach people and love people and care for people that in the middle of all of this, we would still see that you're moving and that we would glorify you every single day. In your name I pray, amen. Today's message is called The High Price of a Holy Calling. The High Price of a Holy Calling. Ask anyone who has kids and they'll tell you that it is a holy calling. They'll tell you how beautiful it can be. I uh, had the privilege of being the first person to hold my boys after they were born. And uh, after they go through wiping them all down and doing some quick measurements, they hand them to you. And I got to lay in the bed next to my kids and just spend 30 minutes talking to them and holding them and praying over them. There are very uh, few things more precious than that. I remember them falling asleep on my shoulder for the very first time. Many of you parents, you remember that. I uh, remember watching uh, them ride a bike for the first time, make their first basket, catch their first ball. Uh, I remember uh, waking up in the morning and them having come in earlier and just snuggling in the morning. It gets better than that. You get to watch him swim for the first time. Uh, Then you hear them say things like, I wanna be like you when I grow up. There is in my house a boy who every time I ask him, what does he wanna be? And every time he says, I want to be a preacher. Now it is not the one that you would choose to become the preacher. Um, It's the wilder of the two, but. Uh, you ask anybody being a parenting is a, is a being a parent is a holy calling, but it comes at an unbelievably high price. a price that if I was just going to be honest and maybe you'd be willing to be honest with me, that you probably wouldn't pay if you'd have got the bill up front. This is one of those payment things where you need a payment plan with a low down payment because if you had to come up with all the money for being a parent, at the very beginning, if you knew the full total of the bill before you ever experienced the child, I don't know. I don't know how many of us would pay it. Because you pay every single day. You feel it when they peed the bed again. I'm not talking about again, like on a different night, but how somehow they've managed to pee the bed twice in one night. You find it when you are wiping butts way longer than you expected to be wiping butts. You pay for it when you find your heart wandering outside of your body and you're experiencing their emotions for them. When you watch them experience the first loss of a friend or their first breakup after dating. This isn't to figure in the financial cost, the emotional cost. The loss of sleep, dear God, the loss of sleep. The amount of time and energy that we put into parenting is unbelievable. The cost is so high. Our hearts collectively break when we hear stories of fathers and mothers who have abandoned their post. We mourn deeply when we hear about kids being raised without the presence of a loving parent. There are few words that evoke more emotion in me than the word orphan. It steals something from us every time we hear it. Being a parent is a holy calling that comes with a high price. There are two institutions that God ordained for the people of, him, of God to experience and all of mankind to experience. The first institution is that of a family. And the second institution is that of a church. He wanted them to have a physical family and a spiritual family. And both are integral to the health and well being and the salvation of the individual. And I wonder at any of our locations, wherever you're watching from today, if you know that there is a high price for your holy calling. There are things that you've interacted with that you realize just how important they are, but you also acknowledge how costly it is. Things can get expensive. A holy calling might be one of the most expensive. If you're watching us today, I have really good news for you. News that you may not be aware of or news that you used to know, but you need to be reminded of every single one of you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are in an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you have a heavenly, life altering, world changing, holy calling on your life. And my goal in this message is to encourage you to not abandon your post, to not not neglect your position and for you not to walk out on your witness. This week as you're going through the Cure reading plan, and I hope you guys are doing it. I love hearing stories and reading posts of people going through this journey. You entered into uh, 1 Timothy. This marks a shift in your reading of the New Testament. My father-in-law, who uh, is retired and is experiencing pretty severe back pain, he gets up every day and he makes his way slowly to his chair where he spends the rest of his day, and one of the things he does every day is he spends time reading his Bible, and he was sending my wife text messages this week from his reading in 1 Timothy well, when you move into 1 Timothy, there's a shift that's happening in the New Testament. This is where we enter into what commentators call the pastoral epistles. These are 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And this is where Paul is writing to these young leaders about how to conduct themselves and the affairs of the church. And Paul is writing to Timothy in First and Second Timothy. He left Timothy behind in Ephesus, a church that Paul started, and he asked Timothy, who is a young man, to lead at that location. And Timothy is facing all kinds of challenges and all kinds of opposition. He's trying to gain respect even though he's young. He's battling sickness either because of stress and anxiety or because of poor health. There's a constant barrage of false teaching and there are people trying to distract other people from the faith and others are spreading false rumors. There are people who are constantly looking for help and time from Timothy when they could actually be self-sufficient. The workload is heavy and he's needing to build a team and Paul tells Timothy what to look for in fellow leaders and in fellow laborers. The calling on Timothy's life is beautiful and holy, But the price tag, the cost is immense. I wonder if there's anybody in Mount Sterling or Macomb or Monmouth who'd be willing to say, you know what, I know what it's like to be Timothy. I know what it's like to try and gain respect of older people even though I'm young. I wonder if there's people who are watching in Kirksville or Keokuk who would say, I know what it's like to just constantly be dealing with false rumors and fake news and trying to figure out what's what and sort through the facts. I wonder if there's anybody in Lima or 929 or Adams County, or I mean at 48th Street or maybe Pike County or Jacksonville or Hannibal who'd be able to say, you know what, I am dealing with all kinds of people who could take care of themselves but it's just easier for them to call you. You're experiencing the price tag of maybe a holy calling. Have you ever encountered expensive things? My wife, and I don't know if any of you guys uh, have this in your life, but you know somebody that has champagne taste and a beer budget? Where they have this natural ability to find the most expensive thing, that is one hundred percent my wife. Uh, any store, any website, doesn't matter what it is, the thing that she will fall in love with will be the most expensive thing. I, uh, you guys know that my family, uh, you know, they they dress me, and I will pick out like six pairs of shoes, and I will hold the screen in such a way where you can't see the price tag. And I can show her 10 pairs of shoes and the one that she will pick out will be the most expensive. Uh, We're trying to fix our bathrooms because our bathrooms were uh, done in the late 80s, early 90s and they've got duct tape on them. And so we had to go get new shower surrounds. And I took Jennifer to this warehouse place to get a new shower surround to go into our bathroom. And I kid you not, you could have gone into that uh, warehouse and you could have had a shower surround that was painted gold. You could have had another one that was made out of pure titanium. You could have another one that was made out of pure platinum. You could have one that was made out of crushed diamonds. And my wife would step past all of those and she'd find the one in the back corner that was made out of crushed whale bones and baby seal tears. And she'd be like, I want that one. That's just how she's wired. She doesn't even have to look at the price to know which one is the one she wants. And I don't even have to look at the price to know which one is the most expensive because it will always be the same. And I live in a world where I am constantly evaluating the price. That's how I'm wired. I'm always going, what's the cost of doing this? And what's the cost to doing that? And I think sometimes, I think sometimes we spend too much time paying attention to the cost and not enough time paying attention to the calling. I am willing to pay certain prices in my family because of the calling I have on my life. There are things that you pay for right now in your family because of the calling you have. But if all, of you, all you do is look at the cost and you never examine the calling, you'll miss out on what God is trying to do in your life because eventually the cost will become too much if you lose sight of the holiness of your calling. And so this is what Paul does. He pulls Timothy in and begins to give him a halftime speech. This is uh, Paul being the Belichick to Timothy's Brady. And he's saying, all right, we're gonna go back out there and you're gonna get hit, but you're gonna get back up. You're gonna throw an interception, but you're gonna throw another one. You're gonna get bruised, but you're gonna keep playing. And he gets him ready and he sends him back out. That's what this letter is. And to start it off, Paul reminds Timothy of his relationship with him. First Timothy chapter one, verse two says, To Timothy, my true son in the faith. Don't overlook the significance of this statement. Don't miss it. Paul has spiritually adopted Timothy. Timothy has accepted Paul's spiritual fathership in his life. And hear me, this is not some biblical fluke. This is God's plan. This is God's calling on each and every single one of us. You and I, we were commanded by Jesus. After his, uh, he had died on the cross and been raised from the dead and before he ascended into heaven, he commanded and commissioned all of us to make disciples of all nations, to make disciples of himself. For you and I, there has been a calling placed on us to make disciples of Jesus Christ. This is not a job just for preachers and campus pastors. This is not just for high school pastors, infused pastors, and children's directors. This is a call on each and every single one of us. So let me ask you, if I can, a really tough question Who's your daughter in the faith? Who's your son in the faith? Beyond your family, beyond your kids, beyond your spouse, who are you inviting into your life and showing and teaching the ways of Christ? Who's the young family that you could have over to dinner once a week and just spend time with them? Who's the young Christian that can move into the spare bedroom in your house? As I was writing this message, I was going, God, wouldn't it just be amazing if out of the thousands of people that watch our church each week and go to our services and go to our campuses each week, out of the thousands, what would happen, God, if just a hundred people said yes to that? What would happen if a hundred people were to say, it's time? Because there are young believers Young Christians who need this. There are young believers and young Christians who are looking for this. And maybe this week you sit down with your spouse and you just make a list of some possible people. Maybe you come up with a couple ground rules. Maybe you try to figure out some schedules. Start slow, but would you consider starting? and allowing them in. After reminding Timothy of his relationship, he begins to remind Timothy of his magnificent calling. Oh, I love these verses. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invincible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is saying that if God can save him, then no one is beyond the reach of his grace. Paul was living proof that God can save any sinner. When he says worst, he's actually saying first. Paul's saying, I won first place at who is the worst person on planet earth. And you and I have been given wonderful news. Jesus came for sinners. And since everyone is a sinner, Jesus came for everyone. Here's what I mean. Jesus came for police officers and presidents, mayors and medical professionals. He came for teachers and trash collectors. He came for country clubbers and redneck roughhousers. He came for factory workers and fascists, communists and capitalists, terrorists and tax collectors. He came for homeschoolers and home uh, housewives. He came for accountants and administrators, principals and plumbers. He came for prostitutes, professors, welders and welfare recipients. He came for Republicans and roofers, Democrats and dentists. Jesus came for sinners. And that means that he came for me. That means he came for you. And it means that he came for everyone you know and every person you will meet. That is a holy, holy calling that the message of God would not just come to us and is available to us, but that it is supposed to go through us to the people around us. The problem is that so few people know that he actually came for them. And very people know that he can forgive them And very people know that he came for you and forgave your sin. And they don't know the story of God and they don't know the story of Jesus' love because they don't know, they don't know your story. And they don't know my story. We tend to keep our story to ourselves They don't know that God loves them in spite of their addiction because they've never heard of your story of addiction. They don't know that God loves them in spite of their sexual past because they don't know the story of your sexual past. They don't know that God loves you in spite of your divorce because they don't know that he loves you in spite of your divorce. And I get it. It's risky. It's scary. It's not fun to be vulnerable. But Paul says, God saved me the worst of sinners. And in his other books, Paul backs it up by letting people in on who he is and who he was before Christ changed him. I remember having really, really long conversations with my wife, Jennifer. I believed with my whole heart how powerful her story would be if she would ever be willing to share it. We talked about it, fought about it for years. And finally, Jennifer got to a point where she was ready to share her story. And it was scary, it was risky, and it required her to be vulnerable. But there's not a month that goes by that I don't have someone reach out to me and ask me to share the link of my wife's story. And I remember all the people who came out of the woodwork to tell Jennifer that her story matched their story and they'd never told anybody. Jennifer finally came to the conclusion that her story did not belong to her, but her story belonged to Jesus. That after all, he was the one who paid the price. He was the one who bought her story. He was the one who redeemed her. He was the one who redeemed her story. Her life is not hers, therefore her story is not hers both of them belong to him. And something special happens when we let people in on what we were like before we gave our lives to Christ and Jesus allowed them to see the significant changes that Jesus made in us. What story do you have that's not been told? Who in your life needs to hear your story? Is it your college-aged daughter or your high school-aged grandkid? What would it look like for you to take them out to coffee or to take them out for pancakes and let them in on who you were before Christ and what God saved you from? Paul gives us all so much hope just by acknowledging who he was and how bad he was and now who he is in Christ. And then he reminds, he reminds Timothy that prayer is a priority. Look what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. For this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all people. There's so much I could unpack there, but I just wanna unpack this. We are to be a people who are bombarding heaven with prayer for all people. Even for my angry spouse, for all people. Even for my frustrating coworker, for all people. Even for my family member who causes division and strife, For all people. Even for my kid that won't talk to me, for all people. We are to be a people of prayer and not just all people. For those in authority, we're supposed to pray for those in authority. And I know that as soon as I say that, some of you are going to be excited and some of you are going to get defensive. We tend to like that prayer for those who hold an office depending on who is in the office. I'm more inclined to pray for the president if I voted for that president, but I'm less inclined to pray for that president if I didn't vote for that president. Here's what what you need to know. Paul is commanding Timothy at God's request to pray for whoever's in the office, regardless of if you voted for him. He's writing, he's writing Timothy to tell the Ephesians to pray for the emperor Nero, who was a vile man, that there is no president that you could even come close to comparing to the horrors that Nero inflicted upon people. And yet he still writes them to pray for their redemption. What if the way you changed Washington and what if the way you changed the state capital uh, wasn't through political maneuvering? What if it wasn't through lobbyists or action groups? What if it wasn't through protests? What if it was through intercessory prayer? I mean, call me crazy. But I wonder if we're ever gonna go, these earthly weapons don't work in spiritual warfare? What if we're trying to fight the right fight but with the wrong weapons? Paul writes to Timothy and he says, your weapons are your prayers. How many of us are getting so frustrated trying to change people's minds by what we post and how often we post? And what if posting doesn't change people's minds, it cements their mind? What if the solution is when we make prayer a priority? What would happen if you were to pray as often as you posted? What, what would happen uh, if you uh, prayed before you posted? What would happen if you prayed instead of posted? He goes on, 1 Timothy chapter four, have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in a living God who is the savior of all people. Don't get distracted by the rumor mill or silly spiritual speculation. Instead, get in God's gym. Train yourself for godliness. Physical training, it has value, some value, but godliness, godliness has immense value. Burpees are good but not as good as your Bible. Push-ups are good, but not as good as prayer. Running is good, but not as good as repentance. He's saying we are spending too much time and too much energy on the physical realm. Instead of growing and preparing ourselves for the spiritual realm, work is good, games are good, sports are good, but not more important than growing in your relationship with God. And of those things, get in the way of you training for godliness, then you might be too busy and you might find yourself too ill-equipped for the physical and the spiritual challenges that lie ahead. It has value. But he says, I want you to train yourself for godliness because it's good, not just in this life, but in the life that is to come. He's beckoning you, start preparing yourself for heaven. He goes on to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech and in conduct and in love and in faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them. Literally, it means to be in them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Timothy is navigating, trying to lead up. Uh, He's young. He doesn't have everything that he wants to be able to do, everything that he wants to be able to accomplish. And Paul is not letting him off the hook. He's looking at Timothy and saying, no excuses. Even though you're young, set an example. It's interesting that the example he is setting is not just for those outside the faith, but for those inside who have a faith. His life is a form of discipleship. He's Showing other people, how do you talk? How do you live? How do you love? How do you maintain and have faith? How do you operate with purity? This means that as Christians, we don't get to write ourselves permission slips when we're hanging out with our other Christian friends because they know our hearts. He's saying, set an example for the believers and for those who are watching. Show them how a man of God acts. Show them how a man of God behaves. Show them how a woman acts who follows Jesus. Show them how a woman of God behaves. Pay close, in, pay close attention to how you are living. Be in them. Don't dip your toe in the pool, jump all the way in. Don't sprinkle yourself with God. Submerge yourself in Him and in these matters so that everyone can see your progress oh, this is a brutal question. Does your family see you growing in the Lord? Do your neighbors see you growing in the Lord? Do your friends see you growing in the Lord? If not, maybe something is wrong. And doing all of these things is hard, and expensive. Holding out the word of truth is hard and expensive. Staying in the pain when it hurts is expensive. Navigating challenges and hurts and heartaches in ministry is expensive. Navigating pandemics and trying to be a light in the darkness is expensive. It costs you, it requires more of you than you thought you were willing to pay. And here's what I want to say to those of you, to those of you who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have been called to this. And when we respond to that calling, when we stand in that calling, we offer hope to a hopeless world. And choosing to be a Christian and choosing to be a follower of Jesus Christ will cost you because it cost him. And that when we suffer for the cause of Christ, we are becoming like Christ. Don't quit, double down. Because the world is watching us And because we stay in our calling and we keep paying the price, there will be other people who will find a relationship with Jesus Christ and our present suffering and our present challenges are not worth being compared to the glory that will be revealed in heaven. And part of that glory will be people who found Jesus because of your witness. You've been called. It's expensive, but don't quit we're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.